while I'm preaching about that on Sunday mornings, a, a series called Holy Habits. We're talking about the attributes of passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to read out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, as we talk about piercing the darkness. Piercing the darkness. Here it is, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul said, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Okay. Another word that is used there in some translations is arguing. Do all things without complaining and arguing. I'm waiting for an amen. I'm not going to... Oh, y'all are y'all said that unenthusiastically. Right? We are to do all things without complaining and arguing. That's a, that's a good verse for mamas to put on their refrigerator. For their kids to read every day. Amen? And for church members to be reminded of too. Do all things without complaining and arguing. That you may become blameless and harmless. A better word for that is spotless. That you may become blameless and spotless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. I thought about starting my sermon today uh, telling you current stories of how wicked and depraved and crooked and perverse our world is. But you know all those stories, all right? All you have to do is turn on your, your TV and watch the news, or just period, turn on your TV, and you're going to see it in your living room. Uh, pick up the newspaper, listen to the radio. All around us, there, there are stories of how crooked and depraved and perverse our world really is. The fact is that the human situation, because of our sin, will always be described, as Paul describes it here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, as a crooked and depraved generation. It was true back then, and you know what? It's still true today. That's the way the world is. The word crooked means wicked. It means to turn away and go the opposite way of what the truth is. That word depraved or perverse is a stronger word. It actually means twisted. In other words, no matter what the country or the culture, our human situation is messed up. We live in a wicked world. It is a depraved place. And the Bible describes it as a dark place. Now obviously God is completely aware of what is going on in any generation or in any culture. But what does He do about it? Well, some would say God does nothing about it. In fact, some would say God really just doesn't care. He isn't involved directly in human affairs, and He's not concerned one way or another. Well, I can tell you that doesn't square with what the Bible says. Others say that God does care. He's just really not interested in changing anything. He's just going to let everything deteriorate until one day He'll come, judge the world, and condemn sinners. And that's going to be the end of it. 
So his people just need to retreat to their bunkers and try to hold out until Jesus comes back. Again, that may sound good, but it doesn't square with what the Bible teaches. Others say that God just leaves it to us to fix this dark, messed up world. So as humans, we think we can fix all the problems this world has. I mean, we've got the answers. We can educate the darkness out of people. Or we can improve the environment that people live in. And eventually we can eradicate all that's wrong with the human situation. And again, that sounds good in Congress. But it just doesn't work in practicality. The Bible reveals a totally different perspective. Here's what the Bible teaches. God sees what's going on. He cares about the mess that we're in. And He realizes that we can't fix it ourselves. Yes, He is a holy God. And because He is a holy God, He must punish sin. But He's also a loving God. And He desires to redeem and deliver people and also the world in which those people live. And the way He chose to do that was pretty radical. He chose to send His only Son, Jesus Christ, into this crooked and depraved world to redeem everyone who would trust and believe in Him. He accomplished everything on the cross of Calvary necessary to deliver us from this dark world of sin that we live in. And this message is called the Gospel. We also like to call it the good news. Because let me tell you folks, it is good news. And God has chosen to demonstrate this good news and to deliver His good news in the darkness of this depraved and corrupt generation through the lives of His people. That's you, through the lives of passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We are to live our lives in such a way as to pierce the darkness by sharing the light and the love of Jesus. Church, that's what we've been called to do. And in order to do that, we must develop some holy habits in our life. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us how we can develop these habits as we pierce the darkness. Number one, we need to be demonstrating the good news to the world. Now all of this starts back in verse 12 of chapter 2. In the second part of verse 12, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is this. Church, listen to me. You've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Right? God saved you. He's given you everything that is necessary to live a holy and godly life for Him. He then says, you work on that. You work out your salvation. Now you couple that with the verse I've been quoting from 1 Timothy 4, 7, that we are to train for godliness. And the two go together because that's what we are to do every day. We train ourselves to be godly people. We work out our salvation to be more godly and more holy every day. In theological jargon, that's called progressive sanctification. It means that I live my life in such a way so as today I am closer to Jesus than I was yesterday. I'm moving towards Him. I'm doing all of those 
holy habits that are necessary for me to live a godly life. So Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means you take it seriously. This isn't some kid game that we're playing on the playground. This is, this is for life and death. So you take it seriously. For it is God who works in you to will and to accomplish His good purpose. God's working in you. God's giving you everything that is necessary to create these holy habits, to work out your salvation, and to live a godly life. Now, the next verse kind of shocked me when I read it, understanding what he had just said in verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, <laughs> that just amazes me. When the Bible talks about us working out our own salvation, and when it talks about God working in us to will and to act according to His good purpose for our lives, of all the things that God could have said here, He chose this particular issue. I mean, He could have said this, you work out your own salvation by reading the Bible. That sounds Baptist, doesn't it? Amen or by praying, or by coming to church, or by tithing, or by living a moral life. He, he could have mentioned any one of those holy habits that we might call the biggies. Rather, the very first thing that is mentioned here is this, to do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, I know this was an ongoing problem at the church at Philippi. It was a problem that threatened their fellowship and their relationship with God and their witness to the world. But you know what? It is a problem for all of us. This, this is a problem of human nature, even as Christians, because we tend to live on the negative side. If there's something we can grumble or complain or gripe about, we're going to do it. And not only do we like doing it, we like to listen to it too. So he's saying do everything without grumbling or disputing or complaining or arguing. And, and guys, listen to me. Church, listen. There is nothing that is exempt about this. It applies to every one of us. So often we act like, oh, God didn't really mean that when he said it. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know that's what it says, but it really doesn't apply to me. Or God really didn't mean it that way when he said it. And God might well say to us today, well, what part of do everything without grumbling and complaining and arguing do you not understand? Somebody put it this way, and I think it's, it's pretty applicable. You can't be godly and grumpy. Now try that on for size. It, and I, I'm thinking, this is not going over very well this morning. Just by your reaction, or you know, maybe, maybe we just didn't, we don't get it because we think, really? I mean, really? Why would why would this passage talk about that? And why are you putting such an emphasis on it? Because let me tell you why. God doesn't like it when His people grumble and complain. If you don't believe that? Go back and read the Old Testament. The children of Israel spent forty years in the wilderness because they grumbled and complained, and they never would learn their lesson. They kept grumbling and they kept complaining. God hates it. God despises it when we as His people who have been blessed by His gracious hand gripe and grumble and argue and complain. 
Now, one of the reasons that we are to do everything without grumbling and arguing is that, you know what, this demonstrates our faith in God. We believe that God is sovereign in all things, even when those circumstances in our life are, are brought into our life that we have no control over or we are inconvenienced about or disappointed with. And when we complain and argue, we are saying to God and to all the people around us that we just don't really think God's doing a very good job taking care of our lives. That's what it is. When a Christian grumbles or complains, he's really grumbling or complaining against the Lord. That's what we say when we're grumbling and complaining. Another reason that we are to do everything without grumbling and arguing is that when we act this way, it hurts our witness. I mean, if, if we're grumpy all the time and going around with a bad, sour attitude, complaining and griping about everything, how, how's that going over to an unsaved world? What kind of message are we telling them? Well, it's not the good news, I can tell you that. I like Max Lucado. Anybody like Max Lucado? Great, great preacher, great uh, writer. He's written a bunch of books. Here's one of my favorite. It's called the, In the Eye of the Storm. And in this book, Max uh, tells a story of when he was a kid. Uh, his dad told him one day, he said, I'm going to take uh, you and your best friend fishing over spring break. And so he invited his best friend, Mark, and, and they planned the trip. And they were, I tell you, they were so excited about going fishing over spring break. Jason, can you imagine a couple young guys going, staying in the family camper, fishing? Man, life doesn't get any better than that. Well, I'm going to read. I want to read this story to you. I don't do this very often, do I? I don't. You know what? I don't think I've ever had story time with you. I, re I really wish we could just kind of dim the lights and you bring your little mats up here. And we could have some animal crackers and you could sip on some juicy juice and I'll just read you a story. Don't go to sleep, okay? Well, Pastor Will's reading you this story. It's good, okay? Here's, here's, here again, here's the story. Max, his dad, and his best buddy, Mark, they're getting ready to go on the fishing trip. When's it going to be? Spring break. I can't wait to spring break. Days pass like cold molasses, he said. Finally, spring break arrived. We loaded our camper and set out for the lake. We arrived late at night, unfolded the camper, and went to bed, dreaming of tomorrow's day in the sun. But during the night, an unseasonably strong norther blew in. <laughs> We know about that, don't we? Yeah. You felt that this morning. Wow. It got cold fast. The wind was so strong that we could barely open the camper door the next morning. The sky was gray. The lake was a mountain range of white-topped waves. There was no way we were going to be able to fish in this kind of weather. No problem, we said. We'll spend the day in the camper. After all, we do have Monopoly. We have Reader's Digest. We all know a few jokes. It's not what we came to do, but you know what? We'll make the best of it, and we will spend tomorrow fishing. So, huddled in the camper with a Coleman stove and a Monopoly board, we three fishermen passed the day indoors. The hours passed slowly, but they did pass. Night finally came, and we crawled into the sleeping bags, dreamy. A fishing tomorrow. Boy, were we in for a surprise. 
The next morning, it wasn't the wind that made the door hard to open. It was the ice. We tried to be cheerful. No problem, we mumbled. We can play Monopoly. Again. <laughs> we can reread stories in Reader's Digest, and, and surely we know another joke or two. But as courageous as we tried to be, it was obvious that some of the gray had left the sky and entered our camper. <laughs> I began to notice a few things that I had never seen before. I noticed that Mark had a few personality flaws. He was just a bit too cocky about his opinions. He was easily irritated and constantly edgy. He couldn't take any constructive criticism. Even though his socks did stink, he didn't think it was any of my business to tell him. Just looking out for the best interest of my dad's camper, I defended, expecting dad to come to my aid. But dad just sat over in his corner, Reading, hmm, I thought, where is he when I need him? And again, I began to see my dad in a different light. When I mentioned to him that the eggs were soggy and the toast was burnt, he invited me to try my hand at that portable stove. <laughs> touchy, touchy, I said to myself. Nothing like being cooped up in a camper with someone to help you see his real nature. It was a long day. It was a long, cold night. When we awoke the next morning to the sound of sleet slapping the canvas, we didn't even pretend to be cheerful. <laughs> we were flat out grumpy. Mark became more of a jerk with each passing moment. I wondered what spell of ignorance I must have been in when I invited him on this trip. Dad couldn't do anything right. And I wondered how someone so irritable could have such an even-tempered son like myself. We sat in misery the whole day, our fishing equipment still unpacked. The next day was even colder. We're going home, was my father's first words, and neither one of us objected. I learned a hard lesson that week, not about fishing, but about people. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we pointed accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers for the lost, we became critics of the saved. Rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result? Church scrooges. Beady eyes searching for the warts on others while ignoring the warts on the nose below. <laughs> Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches. Poor testimonies. Broken hearts. Legalistic wars. And sadly, poor go unfed. Confused, go uncounseled, and lost, go unreached. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. But note the other side of this fish tale. When those who are called to fish, fish, they flourish.
And guys, that's the way it's supposed to be. God has called us to be fishers of men. God has called us to be a light in a very dark world. And when we spend all of our time grumbling and arguing and complaining, we have taken that light that God has given us, and as the old song says, we've hidden it under a bushel, and we've extinguished the light God has called us to live. And again, we do all of this because God has a plan for us to work out our salvation, to act according to His good purpose for our lives. And that good purpose is explained in verse 15. Look at it. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I like the words may become, that you may become. That signals to us that God expects us to become. God wants us to grow up. Church, do you hear me? God wants us to grow up into spiritual maturity, to practice these holy habits in our life so that we may become. That's why I've been preaching this series of messages called Holy Habits. We are to become more like Jesus every single day. And Paul spells that out for us here in verse 15. He tells us how we are to become, what we are to become. He says we are to become, first of all, blameless. Verse 15, you are to be blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that we are sinlessly perfect, but it does mean that we are to live our lives in such a way that others have no reason to point an accusing finger at us and say we're not living the life we profess to live. Why? Because we're living blamelessly. Secondly, we are to become spotless. That's the meaning of the word pure in verse 15. Some translations have it as the word harmless. The word actually means to be undiluted or unadulterated. In other words, there is no mixture of evil in our system. We're living holy lives, spotless lives. He goes on to say, number three, we are to become faultless. Verse 15, the actual words, be without fault. And again, we're not talking about sinless perfection, but it does mean that we're growing in Christ's likeness in every area of our life. And you're saying, preacher, I just can't do that. You're asking me to do something that I just can't do. I can't live that way. Well, why can't you? I mean, why can't we live holy, godly lives? I know that we live in a dark world, but you know what? We have the light of Jesus living inside of us. And church, God has given us everything that we need to live a godly, holy life. It just takes some work on our part. We must train ourselves for godliness. Every day we need to work out our own salvation. But you know what? That's what God has called us to do. And as we do this, verse 15 says, we shine like stars in the universe. When we live our lives this way, we are shining like stars in the universe. Have you ever been out on a clear night? Maybe you're up in the mountains where it's crystal clear. Or maybe you're down in Texas where you can see the moon. Away from the city lights, you look up in that dark black sky and against that dark velvet, 
those stars are just popping out, man. They look like they're so close and so real that you can just reach out and touch them. God is saying that's what we are to be. We are to be lights in a dark world, piercing the darkness of this messed up world. And all of that started with Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Jesus calls us to experience His light in our lives and then to express that light to a dark world. Ephesians 5, 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So there's something here in this verse about the way we are to demonstrate the good news. But there's something else here. Something about delivering the good news. We not only demonstrate it, we deliver the good news. Verse 15 says, we are to shine like stars in the universe. And then immediately in verse 16 it says, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now the word of life is the gospel of Jesus. And this is not just a word for preachers or Sunday school teachers. This is a word for everybody. So, listen up. Here's God's word for you today. The phrase that Paul uses actually means as you keep holding firmly to the word of life. In other words, it becomes a holy habit. Every day I'm holding firmly to this book, the word of life, the gospel. What does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. Number one, you hold fast to the Word of God. I'm hanging on to this book, man. I'm using this book as a foundation to build my life on, to build my family on. I trust this book because I understand it's God's Word and it applies to every aspect of life and living. I believe like Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. So, it means I'm holding fast to the Word of God. It also means that I'm holding forth the Word of God. I'm holding it fast in my heart. I believe it. I trust it. But I'm also holding it forth. That is, I'm sharing it. When we hold it forth, we speak it to others. And guys, let me tell you, you just can't get around this. You can't get around it. If this book means something to your heart, if God really means something to you, if your experience with Christ is real, then you're going to be a light. You can't stop it. Your light is going to shine. And if your light is shining, your mouth is open, and you're telling others the good news, you're holding forth the good news. I was thinking about this. I, th I thought about being at the mall. Now I don't. I don't like to go to malls. Does, anybody out there with me? You don't. You just don't really get into going to malls. If I'm going to a mall, I'm on a mission. I don't just go shopping, looking around. I don't really enjoy that. If you do, that's fine. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to get on your bad side because a business meeting is coming up, and I want to stay on your good side. But the mall is not for me. However. I have been to some malls with my family, like when we're out of town, if we go to Tulsa, we'll go to the big mall there. I was at the big mall in Tulsa some time back, not too long ago, and Angie and the kids went off looking at stuff, and I kind of wandered away. She, she doesn't understand how I can just wander away. 
but I wandered from the fold. And I went to the food court. So I was kind of hungry. And I'll never forget that day in the, in the, the mall in Tulsa in their food court. In, in front of the Chinese restaurant, there was a little gal standing out there, and she had a plate full of something, <laughs> some kind of Chinese food. I don't, really don't know what it was, but it was something with little toothpicks in it, and she was holding it out. She was holding it forth for people to come by and take a sample. The guy down at the Mexican food place was doing the same thing with, with the little Mexican food things and toothpicks in them. They got the chicken place, the pizza place. They were all doing it, and I got a little excited. I thought to myself, you know, Will, you could just go through and get every sample from every tray and then wait a little bit and go back through and do those samples again and you won't have to buy any food. You can have a full meal just eating those samples. And then I had to, I said, you're acting just like your dad. That's what I said to myself you're acting, because that's something my dad, I, I know he would do that. But anyway, the picture here is this. They're holding out that tray. They're holding it forth for people just to come by and, and get it. That's the picture I want you to see. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to hold forth the good news of the gospel and offer it to people who you come in contact with. Hey, if you're not holding it fast, you're not holding it forth. And if you're not holding it forth, it, it must be because you're not holding it fast. You say, okay, preacher, I want to do that, but how do I do it? Well, it's easy. It really is easy. Don't make it complicated. It's easy. You just treat people the way Jesus treated people, and you'll do it. How did he do that? Three quick ways, and we're going to close. Number one, you seek a relationship with them. You seek out lost people. Many people who don't have a relationship with Christ feel that believers, that Christians, that church people think they're superior. And you know what? Sometimes we do. We walk around with our spiritual noses in the air and we think we're pretty arrogant. But you know what? We need to lose that attitude. Huh. We're not told to hide from the darkness. God told us to penetrate the darkness. So you're going to have to enter their world. Now understand this. I'll talk about this in a second. Our best friends need to be believers, yes. But we need to have friends who are unsaved people too. Because if they're going to be reached, it's going to be by you. Jesus loved sinners. He was a friend to sinners. So you seek a relationship. Number two, you show them respect. You respect them. They're not a project. They're a person. And the best way you can respect someone is just to listen to them. Jesus did. In fact, when I read the Gospels, I, I will have to surmise that, that I really do believe Jesus had more respect for sinners than He did for religious hypocrites. So you seek a relationship. You show respect. And then number three, you speak the truth. Sooner or later, if you have built a relationship and you have shown sinners respect, sooner or later, God is going to open the door for you to hold out the word of truth, the gospel. Guys, you need to be ready for this. It could come when you least expect it. So you need to be ready. But God will do it. He'll give you a chance to share the good news with them. Then all you got to do is tell them how much Jesus loves them and what Jesus has done for you. I spend most of my time with Christians 
I work with them every day. Even though sometimes I question in my mind. No, no, no. It's supposed to be funny and you didn't laugh. I speak, <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> I spend most of my leisure time with Christians. Either people in this church that I fellowship with or, or other Christians from other churches that I've made friends with. I, you know, I, I, I do. I love being with Christians. That's great. But if I spend all of my time with saved people, I'm not being the light God has called me to be. If I spend all my time with other lights, we're just in our holy huddle. We're not piercing the darkness like God has called us to pierce. So here's what I do. I look for opportunities to, uh, to, to be around people who are unsaved and unchurched. And I have to look for them. I mean, because all the rest of the time I'm with Christians, so I look for these opportunities. One thing that I've chosen to do that, that helps me do this is cowboy action shoot. You think, oh, preacher, you're just saying that, using the excuse. You like to do that because you dress up goofy and shoot guns. Well, I, I do enjoy that. But one of the reasons I do it is because I'm around people I would never be around. Yesterday, Cal Polk, that's Keenan, right there, Keenan Polk, he and I went to Oklahoma, Rattlesnake Mountain, do a little cowboy action. Cal Polk won. Did good for him. I'm saying, talk on it, I wish I'd have beat him. But we were around some sinners, weren't we, Cal Polk? I heard some words I ain't heard in a long time. You say, oh, I'm a pole, brother. Well, that's the world, man. You know that. But they know cowpoke and I are Christians. They know, they know what I do for a living. And I've built relationships with a lot of these people. In fact, there's a guy locally around here I've been shooting with for several years. Something happened years ago when he was just a young man that... Uh, that he quit going to church because of. And I heard him say at one time, he didn't even know if he believed there was a God. But I've built a relationship with him. I respect him. I visit with him. I talk to him. Not long ago, something happened in his family that was very traumatic. And guess who he called? And I was able to share the light with him. This is what I'm talking about. We're alive. It's what it's about. God has called us to be a light in a very dark world. And we can't be a light if we are as dark as the world is. So we need to let our light shine. How do we do that? Establishing holy habits living godly lives every single day. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. You may be here today and you've never accepted Jesus into your heart. If that's your life, I pray that you'd come and receive Christ as your Savior today and be saved. Maybe you're here and um, you're just away from God. You're not living like you should. You know that. I pray that you would come and rekindle your life 
and let that light shine for Jesus. Maybe something was said in the sermon that applies directly to you and you just want to come and talk to God about that. Now's the time to do it. And I know that all of us in this room have somebody in our life, whether it's a son or a daughter, mom or a dad, brother, sister, co-worker, neighbor. They don't have the light of Jesus in their heart. Listen to me, if, if they are going to see the light, they're going to see it in your life. So would you come today and pray for them and ask God to give you the opportunity to share the good news with them. Others of you here today just need to come and pray. That's, that's what this time is all about, just for you to come and pray. So would you? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just uh, meet the needs that we have, touch hearts, change lives.